Good morning, everybody. Uh, everybody uh, online as well as everyone here uh, as well. Welcome. Today we're kicking off a brand new series. It's a series on the Gospel of John, chapter 1, portions of that, and it's called Beyond the Manger. So we're starting Advent one week early with uh, the sermon series. And we're doing this because we need to think uh, beyond Christmas without missing Christmas. We want to think beyond Christmas without missing Christmas. So we're going to see how John's gospel today, we're going to see how John's gospel and Star Wars have something very interesting in common. Uh, we're also going to see why the word word, the word word, is maybe the most profound title that's given to Christ in, in the gospels and in, in, in the Bible uh, itself and is immensely meaningful to us. And then we're going to see also how what is the most important ingredient in getting to know someone, including God. So I want you to get your Bibles out uh, and get ready uh, by turning to John chapter 1. And while you're doing that, uh, go ahead and watch this video. While you're looking up John 1 in your Bibles, I want to tell you about a book I'd like all of you to get for your household this Christmas. It's called Emblems of the Infinite King. I'll be reading from it frequently in this series, but in our next series starting in January, I'm going to give you a weekly assignment. I'll be talking about it all the way up till Christmas, but let me whet your appetite by showing you a trailer that has been created for this book. All other kings are finite beings confined by worldly things, self-serving men who make decrees, mortal beings with borrowed breath, those who through the curse swallow sin and taste death. But there is a heavenly king who sinlessly sits enthroned sovereignly above the time and space of all other earthly kings, a glorious king whose cosmic crown is covered in constant constellations, who receives the greatest praise while angels gaze in awe and adoration. This king of kings is the kind of king who is kind to mankind, who leaves behind this divine throne to pursue his own, who splits his flesh across a bloody cross to cover the infinite cost of the sin that once accosted us. This resurrection king, this returning king, comes to bring a kingdom unlocked to the most lost of us. This consummate king we receive and believe through the emblems of the infinite king. The book is written for kids 10 years and older. But if you have kids younger than 10, get the book for yourselves. If you have no kids, get the book for yourself. We'll be tracking with the subjects covered in each chapter of the book. Each chapter covers one of the traditional subjects of what's called systematic theology. I told you last week I was going to do a theological series at the beginning of the year, and I told you it would not be boring. We'll consider this whole Advent series a preview of what I mean. All right. I'm a little bit excited about this. I don't know if you can tell, but uh, I do want you to get that book. So we're going to pray now to, for God to illuminate his word in our hearts and in our minds. And that prayer that we're praying today is based on Psalm 33. Please pray the underlined portions with me. Heavenly Father, you always were and you always will be. By your word, you created the heavens and the earth 
your plans and your purposes will be fulfilled. We know that you are faithful. As we look to your word, open our eyes to what you would reveal to us and open our hearts to the wonder of who you are. By your Holy Spirit, lead us to trust your work in us and in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're looking at the first five verses today, uh, really focusing on the first but of John chapter 1, but we'll, uh, we'll read the first five verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, so we are entering our first COVID winter. This struck me just a few weeks ago. I mean, maybe you were thinking about it already in the summer, but it struck me that it is our first COVID winter in the sense that it hit all the shutdowns. Everything hit in March last year. If you're a true Minnesotan, March is no longer winter. <laughs> it is in some ways. Yes, we have winter days, but it is no longer winter. We're going to go through a COVID winter. Outdoor activities uh, are limited during that time, unless you're a snowmobiler and can do it eight hours a day or something like that. It's limited. And indoor activities are, are getting more and more difficult to have uh, because of concerns uh, about COVID. I was talking, to, or, or was talking to someone who was talking to a doctor, and he was talking about at his hospital, six to 20-hour waits right now to get a hospital bed if you're in the emergency room. You gotta wait six to 20 hours at his hospital. That's how dire the situation is. He had to treat someone with a very serious condition in a hallway. And so those are the realities uh, as we go into this winter. There is a sense of isolation that a lot of people are already have been experiencing. It's going to become even more acute, that sense of isolation. Even people who I know who prefer COVID when it comes to their own lifestyle, not prefer COVID itself, but who like being at home, like working at home, like all the things that that, that brings, people who really enjoy doing that, even those people are hitting walls. And I just think I have a theory that everyone, no matter who you are and how you're wired, comes a point where you will hit a wall in the sense of being... Uh, that sense of isolation and of being hemmed in is going to hit you at one point or another. So this winter threatens to plunge us into despair or, at the very least, uh, an acute sense of weariness, uh, stagnation, possibly, in our spirit, in our relationships, and everything about us. Christmas might postpone some of those feelings if you love the Christmas season. And of course, not everyone loves the Christmas season, but if you love the Christmas season, all the songs, everything, the lights, if you love that, it may postpone for a while, all those things, but winter is coming. And that's why we need to look beyond winter 
because it is coming. It looms out there. So the despair, the weariness, the stagnation threatens to immobilize us and to impact our journey with God. This whole series that we're going to be doing all the way up till the end of the year, this whole series is focused on answering this crucial question, which is what if Christmas was only the beginning of a journey this winter? What if it was a, a, a journey that can take us deeper into the light of Christ, a light which the darkness is unable to overcome? What if we take that out of Christmas into this winter? So the opening of John's gospel is his unique take on the Christmas story. Uh, in it, he reminds us that the light, speaking of Christ, shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. And because of that, Christmas can be the beginning of a great journey this winter by looking beyond the manger to the Christ of Christmas, to the light and light giver who overcomes the darkness. John also reminds us in those verses in verse 4, he reminds us that in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Christ is the light and life giver who overcomes the darkness. This series is based on the Christmas story in John's gospel, as unusual as it is. So the opening of John's gospel never mentions uh, the manger, but it helps us to see beyond the manger into the deeper and profound mysteries of Christ and of Christmas. So we're going to watch a video as we look at what he's talking about when he starts out his gospel. In order for Christmas to be the beginning of a great journey this winter, instead of a short post moment of gloom and weariness and stagnation, we need to look beyond the manger to the Christ of Christmas, to the light and life giver. And we'll do that in this series by looking at six attributes of Christ that overcome the darkness. And we'll look at one attribute per week in the series. So the first attribute of Christ is that Christ is the logos. And the logos means the word, the best translation we can come up with. This first attribute of Christ that overcomes the darkness comes from John 1.1, the very beginning words of his gospel. So look at John 1.1. It says, in the beginning was the word. Now here's a spoiler alert. The word word here is later identified with Christ. The word is Christ, and Christ can be called the word. So the first attribute of Christ that overcomes the darkness is that Christ is the word. Now, people who study John's gospel in detail consider this to be a profound idea and a game changer. Why? Well, think of it this way. If John had begun his gospel with the words, in the beginning was the one who would overcome death and despair. Or if he had started it with, in the beginning was the good and brilliant light that would fight back the darkness of evil. Those beginnings would not be as powerful as his description actually is. In the beginning was the word. In other words, identifying Jesus as the word is more powerful and more hope-inspiring than possibly just about any other description. Why? Because the word word packs such a depth of meaning that you don't really understand until you understand it in its historical context. What if I said to you at the very beginning of everything, the cause of everything that there is, the reason why everything exists, 
the power that created the entire universe and the principle from which we derive all wisdom and goodness and beauty, all that was contained in one personal spiritual being who was there at the beginning, but now has taken on flesh, has walked among us, and was even born in a manger. If I said that, do you see how that's bigger and better than just about anything else I could say? That's what John is saying when he says, in the beginning was the word. So here's what John writes. He writes, in the beginning. It refers to the time before the creation of the heavens and the earth. It's not an accident that he uses the opening words of Genesis to open the gospel story. It would be like anyone starting a story today with a variation on a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Or happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Or it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. In the beginning evokes a whole bunch of ideas and feelings just like those phrases do. If you're familiar with how George Lucas begins Star Wars or Leo Tolstoy, Anna Karenina or Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, how they begin their stories in the beginning transports us back to Genesis 1. And then you have Lagos, which is one of the most loaded terms John could possibly use to start his gospel. Maybe the most loaded term he could use in his day. In first century philosophy, primarily in the most popular form of philosophy, which was Stoic philosophy, Lagos refers to the basic principle of reason that holds the entire universe together. How's that for a big concept? That's Greek philosophy, but it was a loaded term as well for the Jews in the first century as well. A hugely important term. For the Jews, Lagos represents the powerful voice of God that creates the heavens and the earth. It also represents the wisdom of God for living a good and beautiful life. And it represents the Bible. So do you get a sense of what's being evoked? The ideas, the feelings, the emotions being evoked, being evoked by stating, in the beginning was the Lagos. And then later adding, and the Lagos became flesh. Here's what they hear. In Jesus, you have the powerful word of God that calls the universe into existence. You have the beauty and truth of God's wisdom. You have the embodiment of scripture. You have the most basic principle of reason that holds the entire universe together. And because of all that, he is the light that darkness can't overcome. Neither the darkness of evil nor the darkness of our first COVID winter can overcome his light. And here's what's even more astounding. All that power and majesty and wisdom is contained in a baby in a manger. John didn't mention the manger, but every believer reading his gospel when he wrote his gospel knew about the manger. His gospel was the last gospel that was written. And all the other gospels had been around probably anywhere from uh, 30 to 40 years by the time he wrote. All right. So hopefully you get a sense of just how much is packed into that word, word, at the very beginning. Now consider this, if all the power and majesty and wisdom is contained in that baby in a manger, then as you face whatever challenges you have right now in your life or later, whatever COVID is doing to your mental health or to your hopes and dreams, remember these two profound encouraging implications. There's two that I want to focus on today. 
So the first one is the ultimate power and principle behind the universe is personal. It's personal. God is personal. Christ is the word. He speaks. And speaking is very, very personal. Until you've spoken with someone, you actually can't say that you know them. Lois and I live in a townhome community with a street that comes in, and then you, you, know, you have to do a little U-turn and go back out. And we pass probably about 20 different households, homes, on the way to ours, to, to, to our townhome. And along the way, we see all kinds of people. Uh, during the summer, we saw especially there were people that were uh, cleaning their cars. I, I think our townhome community has more car enthusiasts than any other per capita, than any other neighborhood in the world. I, I'm pretty sure of it. And I think that's why they live in a townhome, because mowing the lawn would take time away from polishing and cleaning their cars. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So we pass by all these homes, and we see people and we've gotten to know some of the people because we've, we've thrown a few parties for our neighborhood. And we've gotten to, to meet probably a third, I don't think half, but at least a third, maybe half of the people. Um, until I have a conversation with one of them, I, don't, I, I really would never say, and I think you would do the same thing. Until you have a conversation with someone, you would never say that you know them. Now, once you have a conversation, once, you know, we have the opportunity at one of these parties or on the way in or whatever, that we get face-to-face and we actually have a conversation. It might be even while we're going out for a walk and they're walking their dog and, and we stop and we talk to them. Once we have that and probably their name, we say, yeah, oh, I, I know that person. But if all I've ever done is drive in and, you know, wave while they're polishing their car or something like that, I'm not likely to say I actually know that person. God speaks to us. God speaks to us. He is, he is the Word. And we can know Him, and we can know Him because He is personal. That's, that's how that works. I want to read to you a little bit from Emblems. Um, you got to love a book that has one of these in it, you know, marker. Uh, and, and I'm really going to skip over quite a bit of stuff here, but this, what, how, the way this book works, you can kind of see it from the back here, there's this keyhole there, and what it does is it, it opens up, the, the subtitle is Enter the Knowledge of the Living God, so the idea is you're entering these different rooms. The room that we're in here is called the throne room, and here is where you learn about the doctrine of God. It's a systematic theology for 10 and older. So you're in this room, uh, and, and, and the key keeper is teaching you about God. It starts out very poetic, and then it goes more into regular type of writing. And he's talking about this, and he starts talking about his greatest word. He's talking about how God communicates. He communicates through nature, and he communicates through our consciences. But there's this other way he communicates. He communicates through his word, his greatest word, his son, Jesus Christ. Then he writes this. And how do you know this? How do you know about the word Jesus Christ? How do you know this? Well, God wrote it down. He wanted you to be able to hear him speak anytime you read his words. That those in your world, what those in your world call the Bible. In both the Old and New Testaments of Scripture, God works with the words, lives, and qualities of human authors to give you his perfect words, not just to have them, but so that you may believe and obey them and find life in them. The Bible is the king's way 
to knowing the king. It's his love letter to his lost children. It's his four-course meal for the poor and the hungry. Because the king speaks through scripture, you can trust it and be a, trust it to be a perfect guide to knowing him. Every part of it is from God, which means it doesn't have any errors. It means you can understand it, and it means that it already contains everything God wants you to know. It also means that God will use it to make sure that what he wants to happen will indeed happen. Now, this is too important to miss, so listen well. The only real reason you can know the king is because the king wants you to know him. He tells you everything you need to know about him. Now, he doesn't tell you everything, but everything he does tell you is true and exactly what you need to know. The king wants you to hear his words because he wants you to know him rightly. People will try to tell you who God is, but the truth is God himself has already told you who he is. He's given you his word. The question is, will you hear and heed his word? He wants you to hear it because he wants you to be happy. You see, God made these two things, knowing him and your happiness, to go together. He knows you will find your true, right, and perfect happiness only when you know the true, right, and perfect king. God speaks. God speaks. He's the word. And because he speaks, you can know him. In speaking, we come to know someone. So what if, what if this COVID winter, you spent more time in God's word than at any other time in your life? What if you used this as a launching into a journey of getting to know God better than you've ever gotten to know him before? That's the way, that's one of the ways to transform uh, your winter journey, to know in deeper and deeper ways the life and light giver. Here's a second implication of Christ being the word with all that's packed into that word. And it is this. The ultimate power in principle behind the universe speaks on your behalf. Lagos often refers to the voice of God, the creative voice of God, the, the, the voice of God that makes things happen, the voice of God that sustains, not only makes the universe, but the voice of God that sustains the universe. Spoken words change things. Our spoken words change things. When our grandkids are at our house, uh, there are four words um, that create an eruption, and it's not a good eruption. <laughs> the four words are, it's time to leave. And there is a reaction, uh, especially among the three oldest grandkids, they just, they are not happy when it's time to go, or it's time, time to leave, or it's time to go. They, those words have power, and you see it in the eruption that happens. The kids erupt. Those words begin the process of leaving. It actually makes something else happen. It begins that process of leaving. It's time to go changes things. When someone says, an officiant says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, something happens in that move, in, that, in those words. It, it has power in those words. The first time you tell someone, I love you, and it's in a romantic context, the first person that, you know, romantically that you love, and you tell them that you love, it has 
power. It has power to take the relationship to another level, but it also has the power to end the relationship, especially if the other person doesn't feel the same way, right? There's power in those words. I have a, a friend who planned an evening around telling the woman that he had loved secretly for two years that he cared for her. He wasn't about to say, I love you, but he would start with, I really care for you. They were good friends. They worked together in a ministry, a very small ministry with maybe four or five employees. And um, he had felt, he had been stricken by her probably from day one. And spending that much time with her, he had grown to love her, but he had never told her. And part of the reason was because he was really shy around women all, all of his life. That was part of the reason. The other part of the reason is that he felt that in this small ministry that it would have the impossible impact of, you know, blowing things up if she didn't feel the same way. And he wasn't sure if she felt the same way. So he planned this evening going out for dinner and said, hey, let's go get a bite to eat. And so they went to go get a bite to eat. And while during that dinner, he finally did was, I'm pretty sure knowing him that his heart was probably busting out of his chest when he finally realized, I've got to do this. This is, this is the night. And he finally said it. He said, I really care for you. Um, I, I, I have for a long time. And that was the moment she told him, I feel the same way. And, uh, and she says, I have for a long time. And every time I think the story, I get a little bit choked up because um, as I first heard the story from his mom and then I heard it from them last summer, summer ago, um, she said, uh, he just broke out in sobbing. <laughs> That's, he'd just been holding this in, and that moment where he found out she felt the same way. And by the way, they, they have lived happily ever after. They've got three kids and a little hobby farm, and it's just, just a beautiful, beautiful life. And he's now working part-time for a church in their missions department, uh, heading up their missions in a small church. Words are powerful. Words change things, but when God speaks, universes are created. I mean, our words are powerful, but God's, when God speaks, universes are created. That means this year, for your prayers, when you pray, asking God to act through healing, through bringing justice, through awakening someone you love to his love, when you pray for someone else or for yourself, you're actually praying for God to speak. His words change things. This COVID winter, spend time praying. Spend time praying. Talk to God. Ask God to speak on your behalf and on behalf of others. Grow deeper in your prayer life. Pray like you've never prayed before, calling on God to act by his power of his spoken word that creates and sustains the universe. If you were around here in the summer, maybe not quite paying attention to what was happening online for, for our church services, or maybe you're new with us, we did a series of prayer, on prayer training throughout the summer. If prayer is a difficult thing for you and you didn't participate in this series or you just need a refresher, you can go back and you can watch, watch those sermons and I highly recommend the prayer course as well uh, online. 
May this winter be a winter where you go deeper in your relationship with the light and the life giver. Go deeper with the word, in his word, and in speaking and asking him to speak on your behalf. We're going to begin our response now for our service. Our response goes far beyond here, um, and we have a very special celebration as part of our response today. But I want to invite you uh, to take the communion packet, and those of you at home, hopefully you have your, your bread and your cup ready. And as you eat the bread, this bread reminding us that Jesus, what Jesus said, he said, this is my body broken for you. The word became flesh and was broken for us. Let's eat together. The word held up the cup and the word said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word. We thank you for your words. We thank you for your creative abilities and genius, the beauty of what you've done. Father, I pray that we would be attentive to you, the word, and to Christ, the word. And that we would grow to know you better this winter. Father, I pray for a, a really great Thanksgiving coming up this week, for a great Christmas, Advent season. But I pray, Father, that we will always be looking beyond, beyond Christmas. And that we'll take those lessons with us into everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.